morning. I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard, Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 17, if you want to turn to there and read along with me. Also, while you're doing that, I want to make a quick plug. Uh, last night, the Camelback Church hosted the area-wide singing, and we had about, oh, I don't know, there was probably 13 or 14 of us, of you, uh, that were there, and the singing was Tremendous. It was excellent. Now, if you were there and you think the singing was great, raise your hand. It was, it was tremendous. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to go to those when you can. I know some of them are in Goodyear and Chicago. You know. Some of them are a long way off, and maybe you can't go to those. But if you catch one you can go to, uh, really, really a good thing to go to. Also, I want to say we've got Gary and Dom back. Our people from the east are back. Nancy Woods here today. Janetta and Megan are here from, from Texas. That's a good place to be from. Uh, so it's good to have everybody back. All right, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that he, that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, have also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be with each and every one of you, and thank you for that kind reading. That's some amazing work to... Uh, kind of walk through, there's probably 
two, at least two or three sermons in there all by itself. But let's sing um, a song that reflects what we, some of what we just read. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Of wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love. For me, for me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for mine. How marvelous! How wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. In pity the angels beheld him and came from the world of light to comfort him in his sorrows he bore for my soul that night how marvelous how wonderful and my song shall ever be how marvelous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. When with the ransomed in glory, his face I at last shall see. T'will be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Amen. So this is part one of Amazing Grace. And thank you, Brad, for that kind reading. And thank you for the deacons for the work that you do in your various capacities to make this engine go. And uh, 
uh, Gary's doing a yeoman's work this morning. Larry's out with uh, some uh, a strep throat. And I know Keith is traveling teaching, so please keep them in your prayers as they're traveling and as they're getting well. But isn't God's grace amazing? And didn't we just sing an absolutely amazing song that described that we stand with and in the presence of our almighty and amazing God? And when you think about that, I want you to think on the book of Ephesians. I want you to look at a church that was one of Paul's longest works, where he spent an inordinate amount of time trying to teach and to instruct and to help the Ephesians and the many people that passed through there so that they would be able to understand just how amazing that grace is. And it's because the Ephesian church, I think, had gotten to a level and a depth that they had sort of stopped, they had plateaued. So they were getting into the Word, they were deeper, church was growing, things were expanding, the kingdom was moving forward. And there was a challenge, which is how do you continue to keep that energy going forward? And I think that's the challenge. Because we who grew up in the church and are, are blessed with on being on the other side of grace, it's easy to become complacent and say, God is wonderful, he's great, that's good, I give him praise, I give him glory, I sing, sing about him every morning. But we must remind ourselves of what it was like to be on the other side of that and where we are now, because God's grace is amazing. you got to say that, church. God's grace is amazing. It is. The plan of God for salvation, it was outlined and summarized by this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We'll cover that in detail later next week, but I want you to keep that thought in your mind. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one could boast. The plan of God, the outline of salvation. How many of you can tell someone about the five-fingered plan of salvation? We show it on a slide up here. There's, a, there's dozens of ways that that's been presented. I know Keith likes that blue uh, stepping uh, ladder, that uh, stairs. But you know it. You have to first listen to God's Word. You have to hear it. You have to hear that Word, and then you have to believe what is being said in that Word. That means you have to believe that God is, that He will reward you if you seek Him. You have to believe that the Word is true and that it applies to your life. And then because of that, you recognize that who God is, He is good. Let me explain that. God is the standard of good. There is no other good than God. This has to be clarified because there are literally millions of people that believe they are good, but the measure that they use as their standard is themselves. Or the measure that they use is the government. I don't know about you, I wouldn't trust government. I don't know that I'd always trust myself. But I can tell you, you can always trust God. And anything that is a deviation from the standard that is good is not from God. It is sin. It is wrong. And when you recognize that, that God is the only good that exists in the universe, and that yes, He made us to be good, and He made us to do good works, and we can do that, and we ourselves can be good, it's because we align ourselves with the standard, which is God. 
and everything else is an aberration of that. That's why denominations are such a problem, right? To denominate, to name yourself something other than I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I want Christ-likeness. I want to be like Christ. And this is the state of being. God's grace is amazing because as we align ourselves with that, as we align ourselves with Him, we recognize the difference between where we are oftentimes and where God is. And we want to work on lining that up by grace, summarized by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. All that is good, all that is right, all that is true, everything can be summarized in Christ. He, he married heaven and earth. He made a bridge. He made a pathway. He was able to bring us so that we could be closer to God. God's grace is amazing. And it is through faith. Faith is the gift, how we receive this gift. We do it by trust. We do it by love. We do it by obedience. That's why when we say, do you promise to love, cherish, and obey? And if you ask my wife, he better obey, right? <laughs> so you, you understand, we do this by faith. Faith is in action. That's why faith without works is dead. When you put your faith in Christ, when you recognize, I am now a sinner, and I fall short of the glory of God, and I want to repent of that, I want to change that, then you will do the rest of those five-fingered steps because you understand that God is offering you something by His grace. And it is an amazing thing that He offers. And to define it, I'll, I'll give you a long story to define it but uh, in a minute, but I want to just give you a little bit of a definition. It's mentioned a few times in the Old Testament, but mostly it's a New Testament concept. And it is meant for, it's mentioned over 130 plus times that I can think of, but you can realize in John 1.17, the Bible says this, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. It's not that God loved people less in the Old Testament. It's that he knew that he had to set all of this up to bring us Christ so that now we have a way to get back to God whereby we can be cleansed of our sins. He can look at us as though we're brand new and we can clothe ourselves in Christ. We can wash away the old. The old is, the old is gone. The new has come. All of those scriptures. It is that grace and that truth that we realize how wonderful it is, the thing that God has done for us through His Son. Brethren, that message needs to be resonating in you. It needs to be shown to other people in the world. And I will guarantee you one thing, that you notice it, it, the way the world is working right now, it's, it's meant to kind of desensitize us to the wonderfulness of our God. It's made to desensitize us to violence, to blood, to a lot, of the, the, a lot of things that we know Scripture does not align with. And as you think about that and you think, how do I live in that in such a way that when people look at me, they see Christ in me and not just me, we, we want to go back to a definition of grace. Because I really do want the world to see Christ. I don't want them to see all of me. Brethren, this is something that you need, that I need. If we're saved by grace, we need to know what it is. We, the, the dictionary defines it as you know, mercy or clemency, but I, I don't really buy that. I think mercy is not getting what you deserve. I think the best way uh, to define it might be more like an Erdsman style where it says freely given and unmerited favor of, and love from God. I've often used this phrase, unmerited favor, right? It's this concept that 
you're getting something you don't really deserve. Now, we can be um, self-humbling about it, which is kind of almost prideful in a way, or we can just accept it and say, yes, I stand in need, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner, what, condemned unclean. Isn't that amazing? It's not self-debasing to say, I need God's grace. It's not even downing yourself to say, I'm a sinner, I need God's grace through Jesus Christ for his blood to cleanse me from my sins. That's grace. That's the concept I would want to leave. Uh, maybe a, maybe a, a Yalman's definition or a simpler definition might be, grace is what you need but don't deserve. It's what you need. If you're saved by grace, this manifestation of God's mercy, his clemency, his, his desire to do good for us, should tell you how wonderful God is and how much he cares about you. I had a friend down in Austin, and he would say this. He would say, his dad used to teach at Austin Theological Seminary before he passed years and years ago. But he had this saying. He said, God will chase you with the hounds of heaven all the way to death's door. That is how serious God is about saving you from sin. He's already done the work. He's already laid the pathway. But while you're alive on this earth, God never moves. He never changes. He never stops loving you. He will always pursue you because he knows what you need is his grace. Brethren, if you believe that, say amen. amen. Freely given, unmerited favor, love from God. That wonderful thing that we need but don't deserve. The definition comes from this. Uh, there's an old, old story, and it's been told a few times. You might have heard it in other sermons. But uh, Dr. S.M. Lindsay was teaching Bible class. This is ages ago, okay? Back in, think black and white, okay? Ages ago. And he's trying to teach Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, okay? This whole concept of grace that we're laying out. And he had this young uh, batch of boys that he was teaching, probably younger than my son, but in that, in that lower range, right? And he just had the hardest time trying to get them to understand what grace is. He would give them a definition of freely given and unmerited favor and love, which sounds great until you try to apply it because it's, it's great as an esoteric definition, but what does it mean out here in reality where we live? Well, and finally he says, well, grace is what you need. It's not what you deserve. End of Bible class, out the door. Well, the next day, Dr. Lindsay is going for a, a tea. So this is on a, just your average Monday after, after worship, right? After a Sunday. And he puts on a formal outfit, striped pants, big old tall uh, stovepipe hat. And he gets ready to walk out in the snow to go to this place where he, this, where he was invited to go to tea. And as he was going to tea, one of his students from yesterday's class, little Bobby, there's still a little bit of snow on the ground. And he picks up that snow and he makes himself a little ball and he waits until Doc is walking by and he just sneaks out long enough and just zings him. More of an ice ball than a snowball. And it hits Dr. Lindsay just square in the back of his, his head, knocks his hat over into the mud, and he's just in, you know, beside himself. He's looking around trying to figure out what's going on. He's picking his hat up, brushing it off. Little Bobby takes that, that confusion moment and darts you know, out, and off he goes, thinking he just got away with you know, getting one over on Dr. Lindsay. 
Now, the first impulse was he's scanning around as he saw some movement. And he thought, is that little Bobby? Are you kidding me? I better go over there and I better give him some corporal punishment. <laughs> give him some love, right? Um, little, and then he thought, no, 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 wait, wait a minute. I'll go tell his parents. And then when I'll go tell his mom because she's at home. And when, when she tells dad when he gets home, little, little Bobby will get it, right? That'll take care of it. And then sure enough, he's walking to tea, and after tea, as he's settling down in his anger and thinking, that little rascal, you know, that, what, you know, what do I do to get him? It dawns on him what he said the day before. Grace is when you get something that you need, but you don't deserve it. And it just hit him like a lightning bolt. And then he leaves tea and he goes to the little local uh, five and dime and he, said, he buys a jointed fishing pole. The kind, you know the old kind of bamboo ones you'd put together? Okay, think Tom Sawyer, that type of thing. And he goes and he buys that and he says, now wrap it up, make it look really good. And he wraps this up into a beautiful present and he gets a card and says, you know, happy birthday. And he goes to Bobby's mom knocks on the door, she answers the door and says, give this to Bobby. I know it's not his birthday yet, but I wanted to, you know, surprise him. Just let him know. Go ahead and let him open it and use it. Mom says, okay, great, no problem. Well, what do you think's going to happen? Because I bet little Bobby was home. I'll bet he was peeking out the window when he saw, heard the door knock. I'll bet he was wondering, what in the world is he giving a gift to mom for? This is really weird. And, of course, he's hoping he doesn't get seen as he's hiding behind the curtain, right? Well, about an hour later, Doc went home. He's doing his thing. He kills a knock on his door. He opens the door up, and there's little Bobby biting his lip, quivering, because he's about to burst into tears. You know, Bob, you know, Doc, uh, you remember that snowball yesterday that hit you in the head? And he goes, yes, Bobby, I remember that. <laughs> well, if you didn't know it, I, do, I done it. I did it. And, well, I guess if you'd known that I did it, you weren't going to give me a fishing pole. He looks at him and he says, you know, I caught you out of the corner of my eye and I figured it was you. I kind of knew it was already you. And now Bobby's just in tears because he's thinking, now what? You know, what am I going to do? He goes, well, Bobby, do you remember what we studied in Sunday school? He goes, yes. Well, we're talking about grace, right? Yeah. He says, do you remember what I told you about grace? Yes. And he still had those words ringing in his ears as he walked home, humbled now by the grace that Doc had given him. Grace is what you need, but you don't deserve it. It's an, and so he asks Bobby, all right, now do you get what grace is? And Bobby goes, yeah, it's a new jointed fishing pole. <laughs> still some work to do, still some work to do. But here's some scriptures for you on Grace. Romans 3.10 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, excuse me. All have sinned, all of us are sinners. There's none righteous, not even one. 3.10. 3.23 is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Down in verse, uh, uh, 1 John, 
The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It talks about all this. Isaiah 53, 6 says we're all sheep like we've gone astray. When you look at Bobby, how far is, a is it a step to go from his life and getting a brand new pole and our life and God giving us new life in Jesus Christ? It's not far, is it? Because I've thrown a few snowballs. I don't think I've ever hit a teacher before, but I, I can say I've thrown a few snowballs. I can say we've had some snowball fights growing up as kids. Maybe you've had something like that too. But we've all done something where we know we were humbled by it because the person did not give us what we really deserved, which is certain punishment. We're like a lot of these people that we talk about in Scripture here. We think about the wages of sin, and yet we know we've sinned. The wages of sin is death. We think about God's grace, and we go, I don't deserve it. All have sinned. Everybody's in a terrible state. And yet God in his wisdom says, here's a new fishing pole. Get up, start over, do better. Be the person that I'm calling you to be. Don't be the person that you think the world wants you to be. Because Yoda was right. The dark side is quicker and easier. Let's just admit it. The dark side is, sin looks a lot of, like in a very appealing thing. But it doesn't satisfy it's like eating. You're going to get hungry again. And unfortunately, when you look at sinful appetites, a lot of that happens to be something that once someone starts, it ends up in a pathway. It's not very healthy. Let me give you an example of the prodigal son. This, will, this is where we'll camp on today for a little while, and then we'll finish. In Luke 15, this is a familiar story, right? You have the father who represents God, you have the angry son that we'll, we'll, we're going to put that aside for this lesson. But you have the prodigal. Before his time, before dad passed away and would have passed on the inheritance right before, as had been happening for generations, this son goes to the dad and says, give me my inheritance. It's time for me to like break out of the mold. And he's ready to take off. He's ready to go sow his oats. He's ready to go put his mark on the world, paint the town red, whatever you want to call it. Whatever it is, he's ready to go. Now, you and I have read this story and heard sermons on this story, so we kind of know how the ending comes. We'll walk through it real briefly. But don't you think that he needed grace? Wouldn't the right response of the father have been to punish him? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I think of things that go wrong in the world, I want justice, I want righteousness, and we always want it when? We want it yesterday, we want it right now. But we don't always get the justice we deserve, do we? Why is that? Because of God's grace. So he goes to his dad, give me, every, give me my inheritance, I want to go, and he leaves. And I would guess that he's leaving a father that's brokenhearted. Wouldn't you be? If your son had done that to you, I mean, I would be. And he squanders the estate with loose living, as Scripture says. He ends up where? In a pig pen. About the lowest job you could take. Next to starving to death. And when at last he comes to his senses, he's thinking, 
the best I can do is what? Go work for my dad, because at least I wouldn't be stuck in this pig pen. I could at least be a servant of my father. And when he stands before his dad, right, when his dad runs out and, he's, and they meet, right, of course, he's shocked that his dad's running out to him. What does he say? He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, I'm no longer, I don't longer deserve the title son. I'm lower than dirt, if there was such a thing. I'm unworthy. Do you ever feel like that? You can say yes, it's okay. Because we all have. And the boy was right. He wasted dad's inheritance. He'd hurt the family name. He broke his father's heart. He tarnished his own image as a playboy and a spendthrift, you know, uh, just playing it up. And his father had every right to treat him as a slave, to say, you know what, I agree with you. Here's the chief servant, I'll give you your, go to the quartermaster, get some clothes. You'll have a room down there with the rest of them. But you know the ending of the story, don't you? That's not what his dad did. First of all, he was looking for him, and it looks like he had been doing that for a long time. Secondly, he didn't just wait till he got to the front porch. As soon as he saw him, what did dad do? He ran to him. He didn't walk. He didn't say, get the guards. He didn't say, honey, where's my shotgun? He ran to his son who smelled, and you know it. And instead of treating him like a slave, and a slave would have to bow down before him, a slave would have to say, shalom, master, peace, master, please don't kill me or fire me. He runs to him and hugs him. He runs to him and he sees his son suffering and he wants to restore him. Brethren, 100% of people in the world need grace. Whether they're hurting from divorce, whether they're hurting from the death of a loved one, whether they're hurting from their own folly, whether it's financial, whether it's personal, whether they've gotten to relationships they shouldn't have. 100% of the world needs God's grace. And the last thing they need is for us to judge them and be judge, jury, and executioner and say, you don't belong. Because none of us belong. It is because of Christ's blood that we do. And why? Because of God's amazing grace. Let that sink in. Because man, I don't know about you, I grew up in the church. It's easy to get prideful. I grew up without half the mistakes I see in the world. I'm, I'm, and it is easy to get on one side of that and go, you know what? You're right, I am better. But you know what? We all still need grace. We all still need grace. Look at what the father did. He needed clothes, obviously, so he gives him a robe. That would be a sign of status. 
He needed shoes because slaves didn't wear shoes, if they could even afford them. He gave him some, he, Dad gave him some sandals to wear. He needed food, so he calls and celebrates this by killing the fatted calf that he probably was saving for some occasion. Here's one. He needed reassurance that he was really accepted, so his father puts his ring on his finger to say, you really are part of this family. He needed a sign of authority, and so his father, probably at this celebration, says, look, this son of mine who was dead and has come to life, he was lost, but now he's found. And with that pronouncement, nobody, save for the son that we'll deal with later, is going to question that. And I'm sure the story came out. I'm sure the servants knew. I'm sure his mom was sitting over coffee the next day going, what? Okay, welcome back, you know, as happy as you are to see your kid. But all of us were born innocent. When we were old enough to know what sin is, when we were old enough to know that we were doing the sin and we were offending God, we call it the age of accountability, and we actually did do that sin, we knew we offended God. Because remember what I said at the beginning, God is the standard for all that is good. And we then knowing our sin, me knowing the things I've done, knowing the things you've done, God still ran to us. He still reaches out and he wants the entire world to be saved. Not wanting men to perish, but what? All to come to repentance. Jesus' blood is for everyone who makes themselves available to it. And all for the little price of putting your faith in him. We pay such a minor dividend for God's amazing Grace. Amen. And when you do, you get the host of heaven celebrating your entrance. You get the host of, hell, of heaven ready to welcome you when you're called home. You get the support of an entire church family while you live on this earth. You get the guidance of the scripture he laid down for us so we can know the path we should walk. God has equipped us to become powerful because grace is powerful. And if that's anything I could leave you with, it's that God's grace is amazing. And we're going to sing about that now. And if you need that amazing grace, and we all do, and you want the support of the church, please don't hesitate. We love you. We appreciate the fact that you're here. We want to support you. Or if you need to obey the gospel, come, please. Please sing about this amazing grace and come.